Last year, we moved into flat four. We'd have people over almost every night, and soon people would turn up completely uninvited, which we loved. We wanted some time to sit and catch up each week so we could chat about what it's like to be in a creative industry like music, film, theatre, whatever. So we started a podcast. This is The Flat Forum. And this is season two. Remember, new episodes drop every Sunday at six and all our episodes are available on Spotify, iTunes, or whatever your preferred podcast listening site may be. Today's guest is a videographer, entrepreneur, and a serial creative. After coming into my life six months ago, he's directed films for Jaguar, Super Yacht Company, Edmonston, and Breitling Watches. He sees the world in a completely different way to most people I've met, stopping to photograph things that normal people wouldn't notice. He's an astounding poet, a director of photography for people like Ollie Murs, McFly, and Harry Kane. He's a man with a level of style I can only aspire to and remains the only person I know to actively collect coffee table books. Thanks very much for inviting me to your humble abode, Mike O'Connor. Hey, man. Hey, how are you? Yeah, good, mate. How are you? I'm really tired. That's why I had to do that intro four times. It wasn't too bad. Was it four? (laughs) You could have done it more. I enjoyed it. (laughs) Well, you know, I did my best. Um, Yeah, this is another one that isn't recorded in flat four, which is odd. Feels yeah. feels weird, but it's nice. I mean, I haven't spent enough time in flat four, I don't think. No. The, I think the first time you came to the flat, actually, you stayed over and you were quite hungover the next day. And you ordered the worst takeout. There was lots of it, though. Well, yeah. We, we made up for it with quantity. Well, there was one sausage, from memory. It looked really dry. <laughs> it was only one sausage for you. Yeah, well. There pan- was also pancakes. There was pancakes. some fruit kind of concoction. It was pretty good, but I, I, I probably wouldn't reorder it. No. No. Uh, what have you been doing today? Uh, just meetings. Meetings? Meetings all day, yeah. About? Uh, future work. Okay. The Yeah, hopefully the good kind. Okay. So tell us a little bit about your company. Uh, so I run a company called Nifty 50 uh, Films, and we are a production company. We work sort of a mixture of direct-to-client and some agencies. It's all commercials mostly and mm-hmm. then some music videos that kind of stuff yeah we kind of started out in music videos and then moved towards the commercial work do you prefer the music or the commercial stuff uh it varies okay typically a higher percentage of the musical of the music videos are enjoyable but then every now and then there's a commercial project that's just like the brightling uh, one yeah i mean yeah you know you know me if you're if you're if you are near a computer go check out nifty50films.co.uk dot uh, com dot com nifty fifty films dot com they've got like a, a trailer there of their their work and stuff like a showreel uh, you did a shoot with like the RAF right for that it was for yeah exactly it was a collaboration between uh, Brightling Watches and the RAF for RAF one hundred last which year which is nuts it was the best shoot of my life I mean well, I was I'm already a bit of a World War Two sort of mm-hmm. um, I was going to say fan I'm definitely not a fan of World War Two let's clarify that II. but Love I'm interested it. in the history of World War Two. <laughs> Um, from a very objective <laughs> point of view. Just love it. Uh, just love it, no. Um, there are lots of stories and lots of interesting stuff and lots of interesting yeah. tech and like, you know, the sort of um, the developments that, that people came up with to deal with it, I don't know. Yeah, but the tech yeah. of it, I, I mean, I wouldn't say that I'm a big aviation sort of nerd, but we got to fly in like Spitfires and stuff like that and we filmed Spitfires from helicopters and then we went up in a Chinook and we were flying over. I actually that sort of sat on the back lip of a Chinook and uh, as it was open flying over London and I could see my house in London at the time and it was just absolutely mind-blowing and you were being paid and we were being paid to do it yeah it's one of those like how the hell did I get here moments well that's why we started this podcast because I want to know why how you got there I want to trace back yeah (laughs) it really did a little rewind sound (laughs) big transition Um, (laughs) but yeah if you did that so you sat on this Chinook and you weren't sat on a Chinook five years ago no and I think you worked quite hard for a bit, but when did you get into film originally? 
When I was 16. Um, Had you done anything before that? In terms of film stuff? Just creatively. Because, I mean, I didn't start as a producer. I started as... I used to play nylon string guitar for a year, uh, playing like Muse songs on like a classical guitar. And I only started production when I was like 1920. So I guess it's like, everyone's got like a preamble before they find what they want to do. Absolutely, yeah. Mine was really early on. I'm one of those really annoying people that kind of always knew what they wanted to do. Seriously? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was kind of astronaut. I think there was a brief period of time when I was about six that I wanted to be a chef. And then it was filmmaker, <laughs> straight up filmmaker. But I wanted to make movies. You're like Just Eat's biggest customer. Yeah. What happened to the chefing? I just realised I wasn't very good. <laughs> <laughs> I can make stuff, just not food. No? Yeah, I'm not very good at food. Okay. I don't know what it is. That's okay. But, but then, yeah. you, then you discovered videography. How? Yeah, I mean, I started making holiday videos. Are you for real? Yeah, my dad was, um, he was an amateur photographer and he's always had like nice camera bits and pieces. Uh, and I remember back in the day, he had a three CCD camera, which was like the bee's knees of prosumer technology. Um, <laughs> and so it, I got handed that to make holiday videos. And I remember just trying to make them cool. I tried to make them look like films. Is your dad a videographer? No, not really. He, ta- he takes photos. Um, I don't know why he had that camera. He doesn't have a video camera now. Mm. Um, I think it was probably just for work. Like he was doing interviews and stuff. He was he works in management training. So uh, okay, I that think makes it must sense. have been to record some interviews or something. Yeah, like. yeah, yeah. But I got given that started making sort of holiday videos trying to make them look like actual hollywood movies trying to make them feel like they were films of my terrible holiday in a caravan in france and you were Um, seven no 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 this was this was after that i just didn't i think i wanted to be a filmmaker from about the age of eight or nine i Mm. think that was when it started to kind of emerge i mean i was watching a lot of movies like i just okay and i wanted to figure out how to do that uh and then it was by the time i was sort of getting into secondary school that we started to yeah. Film so you film it. Was it a shit camera? I know nothing about it. Three CCDs back in the day. That was, yeah. Was I don't want to get into camera? the tech of it. But yeah, like it, it had three separate centers and, uh, sensors and that's how it distributes the... So you've got, I mean, what was it? Um, I imagine it was color, color luminescence. Mm. I imagine it was that. Or was it, no, was that actually how they... Was it RGB? It could have been. I forget. But uh, uh, yeah, it was good. Better than... Everything Most else things. The yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, in, I, in the prosumer market, I've never heard that word, but I love it. Prosumer, it's like yeah, the upper end of the consumer market. <laughs> and how are you editing these? iMovie, like the original was iMovie. iMovie a thing? Yeah, iMovie was a thing. Yeah, the original oh. iMovie. Like, I mean, my dad's been on Apple since. Yeah, like it, the day I've never had an, any kind of computer that wasn't an Apple because my dad wow. already had apples before I was sort of thinking about computers. Mm. I guess I don't know the exact dates, but yeah. Okay, so it's so like the original iMovie, and it was it was so much better back then. Oh, come off it! That's <laughs> it was just bollocks. simple. Well, yeah, it just, it worked. you just put it together. Well, you it's can do that like, now. Ah, yeah. So you, you were your parents supportive of that though? Massively, my parents oh, have been so supportive. A film for the whole time. The whole time, yeah. That's so mental. I, fast forward a bit. I started my first company when I was sixteen, doing corporate film, and it was just because my dad helped us so much. But then yeah. I guess that's kind of that kind of benefited your dad though. Like if I don't know the, this at all, and you've never told me this story. But if your dad's in management training, were you working for him and no, filming not his all. videos? No, no, we didn't do anything for him actually. Okay, I don't think he thought we were good enough. <laughs> um, <laughs> Shock. Uh, we ended up just going down to the business park with his camera again um, and just filming interviews for people. But so that sounds like a really when you say it like that it sounds quite logical like oh i got a camera and i had iMovie so i went to the local business park and i filmed interviews but that's is that literally how it happened or like did how did you get the business how did you, how were you making money to be like oh maybe i could monetize this 
A we, 16 as well. I think it was just a case of... So during that period of time going from holiday videos to being 16 and starting the company, yeah, I had been sort of started to make music video-y things for friends. Like I think uh, a, a friend of mine who introduced me to a lot of people actually, um, including the contact that connects us. Um, we... Wait, who connects us? Adam, so Jane, Adam Smith, is a friend of mine from school who was in a band called A Sweeter Output, Uh who then, and we filmed his, his, in Bloxham Church, we filmed this like weird gig that he did one evening and we filmed it on like multiple cameras and cut it together and put it on YouTube and thought we were going to be famous. Um, He went off to London, ended up joining a band called uh, Pocket Club, Uh that then became Edges, who went on tour Uh with Jane as the singer that's one of the, so like one of the nuts and that's how i know you yeah so it traces back to that point because that was the kind of the point i became friends with adam as well as when we started that's just completely blown my mind okay cool it's really weird when you trace it back yeah so you were filming was this for money or did you just do it for fun i think we just did that for, i don't think we charged anything for that that's so, so cool. it, we were putting those things together and it just started it started to become something that we could actually I don't know where we got the sort of brazen idea that we might be able to charge for it. We weren't charging much for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we just, I think we had like... Um, Who's we, by the way? My friend, my best mate at the time. Okay. Well, my, best, my best mate, Matt, still my best mate, still but best not my mate. business partner anymore. Oh, he so, got fired. Uh, I think he, uh, he's moving on to comedy. Oh, right. He's actually doing really well on the comedy scene. He just yeah, did a show up in um, Edinburgh Fringe and it was absolutely sick. We went oh, up, amazing. it was really cool. Okay. Um, so we, he was doing film stuff at the time. He still does, I think he still does some film stuff on the side. Um, but we were both kind of getting into it and we found each other through that. And then we filmed those kind of music videos together. We did all sorts. Um, and then we, I think through my mum has, my mum ran a nursery. I think one of the parents in the nursery was a prominent businessman of the local area. He was one of the partners of a solicitors in town. And he ran, I think, the breakfast club for businesses around there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, breakfast. And business. so she had mentioned that I was making film things and then he said, do you want to come down and, and talk at the business like breakfast? Wow. And so we went there and then we did a little talk and then I think people just took pity on us and said, sure, you can come in and film a, a thing for, you know, and if it's good, we'll, we'll give you a bit of money. And it'd be like a hundred quid, 150 quid, whatever it was. But for us, it was a big deal. We were like, we're making money out of yeah, this. Yeah, right. But it's just, I guess it's finding that confidence, that like immature confidence to do something. I think it was definitely my dad's suggestion to start the business. I don't yeah. think it had really... I always knew I think I wanted to start a business of some kind because mm. both my parents ran their own companies. So okay. it was it was always kind of there and visible. It was almost like that was the norm for me. Mm. Like I didn't, I wasn't really in contact with anybody that went to work nine to five um, in in the same way for, you know, for a larger company. For sure. Um, but it was him that turned around and said, um, well, why don't we turn this into a limited company? And then he gave us a bit of money and we bought some cameras of our own and then... We sort of just went about, started making money, started doing that business park stuff. It was all really low level Vox Pops kind of talking heads, like just go in there, film an interview, film some B roll of the of the facility. Yeah, and then we actually, I mean, we worked with a guy that made. You remember the football speaker? That was like in Argos. It went like nuts one year for God knows what it was. I'm not a football fan. It was the World Cup, something like that. I don't okay, know. but there was this football speaker that went nuts, and uh, we worked for him back in the day. No way. Yeah just by walking into a random business park after we had like a little bit of a backlog of work and just went, oh, we'll film you a video. That is, it's funny that, so the last season we did a lot of like group chats about life and stuff and that was amazing. But talking to people about their journey through this, 
everyone has the moment where they just asked someone. Even Craig Duffy, who I was talking to recently, he said he got his first gig by asking the PA company if he could carry their gear at gigs. Yeah. And then he, that got him a gig with Blur. Because <laughs> <laughs> like 20 years later, the guy from the PA company rang and was like, hey, I've got this gig with da 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 And it, it's n- you just got to ask. Massively. All of our biggest breaks have come shortly after we've just kind of put ourselves out there. I say we, there's different we's, but you yeah, know, like it's never all of the breaks that I've been a part of have always come shortly after putting ourselves out there mm. in some way, mm-hmm. whether it's on the internet, whether it's doing something for somebody, whether it's a direct contact, whatever it is. Yeah. But it's always been a case of, yeah. How, how did you get good? Was YouTube like a big deal at the time? YouTube, I mean, YouTube was just starting. Yeah, like my career kind of follows the path of YouTube. Like okay. you, I mean, sort of when we started doing that, it was the dawn of video on the internet being a prominent thing. That's why all the business people were kind of like, actually, that would be useful. Yeah. We all need a video on our homepage now. It was right. kind of that trend. You just hit that right. Just exactly. by accident, that was the time. It's just what it was, yeah. So how did you learn? YouTube. Like Film Riot, people like that, all these old channels. There used to be, what was it, Indie Mogul as well? I think that, that used to be massive. And it was all the kind of DIY filmmaking tricks, mm. like make your own lights out of things that you can find around the house, that kind of stuff. Were you turning up to businesses with this stuff? Yeah. We used to turn up to the businesses, like, so up to businesses with like suitcases of things, like torn suitcases of stuff, because it's all we had to carry our kit. <laughs> and like wooden light stands and things like that, and just anything else that we could jimmy together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, I mean, there they were definitely, you know, noses were turned up, but... But the end result, but right? But the end result, like, it worked. We yeah? used to gig, we bought a PA off a guy called Darren, and he ran a Duran Duran tribute band solo, and it was called Darren Darren, and his PA system was like this old battered, it was huge and really quiet, and I remember turning up to venues, and it was like car- covered in carpet and torn, and they'd be like, oh, is that your PA? And they had like a bow system, I was like, yeah. And they're like, oh, do you want to use ours? I was like, no, we're going to fucking use ours that we paid £400 for. And it slaps. And then every, at the end of every gig, they'd come back and they'd be like, oh, you were really good, thanks. And I was like, you don't fucking care about the PA now, do you? <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like, people, if you can still deliver the product, you can do it with anything you want. Yeah, massively, yeah. It's actually funny. So we, we turned up with all those suitcases back in the day. And then the moment we had a bit of money, we could buy our own kit or get a lease, that kind of stuff. I was like, yeah, we're going to have pillowcases for everything and they're all going to match and it's all going to be great. I remember uh, like two, three years ago, um, I turned up to an interview shoot in a big tower block in London. Um, and the second videographer that we'd hired um, turned up. I had my big pelly cases. I was wheeling them all in. And uh, I had my massive set of Kino lights that I thought were the bee's knees. Uh, and it was just cumbersome. And then he turned up with a suitcase. And he was like 10 Seriously? years older than me. He'd been doing this for a lot longer. It's interesting how it comes full circle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How like you go from that point where, uh, I don't know. I don't know if there's any actual poignant thing to draw from that i just no, thought it was true. funny it was yeah. just a funny thing it comes, <laughs> i mean I, I i remember i bought when i first got into production and i started getting a bit of money i was like you know what i'm gonna buy an apollo twin i'm gonna have like the top spec imac and we're recording this on a 50 pound inter- interface with like the cheapest xlr you can buy on amazon i guess it's part of the progression like you end up coming back to things where you're like you don't i think when you're starting out you become obsessed with the kit yeah and you're, you're trying to recreate the kit and that's okay yeah but then after a while, once you've got the kit, you kind of start leaving that behind again and you start rem- going back to... Mm. I, f- I felt more stifled by kit in the last few years than mm. than anything, really. Because... Do you, because I, do you think that it's it's because uh, at one point in your, when you're or in this like learning curve, if you want to call it that, the gear is sort of the reason that you do it almost. It's like it, it's an exciting um, like toy. 
it's a toy. And then after you get bored of it being a toy, it becomes a tool again. And you wouldn't always use the biggest tool to do that job. You'd use the quickest tool to do that job. Yeah, I definitely... Even if it's not the most fun. Yeah, I wouldn't say the the tech isn't the reason I do it, but I do like the tech. Mm. And so there's definitely been a bit of me that's always like, oh, we'll bring the most tech, we'll bring the yeah. most kit that we can. And then you realise that actually you do a worse job that way. Yeah. Like you end up being lumbered by it. You end up being weighed down. You're too slow, for example. You can't get where you need to go or you've just got the wrong stuff with you. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's better to have less or sometimes it's better to have something that's not as expensive. The really cheesy thing, yeah. the best camera is the one you got with you. Uh, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Or the one you can walk around with physically. Like back <laughs> in the day, I used to carry some really heavy cameras around for no reason. Well, like the big red stuff? Uh, no, like Ari's stuff i mean like we still use like a lot but um yeah or it used to build it up make it as big as possible and you see that i think you see a lot of people that have just sort of run into the just gotten to the point where they can get the kit they end up putting the big map box on it and putting all the handles on it and then getting like the tarot deck on the top and all that kind of stuff and then they build it up and make it look like the most professional camera they can possibly make it mm. uh, and then you see the guys after that that are like ah you know i just want to like duct tape something onto the side of it because it's a lot less weight than using a, a nova arm like a metal nova arm that kind of thing and then right. you get like the lightweight map box it's not as big and impressive but it's significantly easier to carry because it ends up becoming more about the content again where you know when you start it's all about the content because you haven't got any kit. That's the thing, yeah. It's so I think there's a really pure time. Yeah. Right at the start when you're filming interviews and you're playing wedding gigs where you're like this is just for fun yeah. and I'm making money from it. We some of my favorite projects. We made a music video a few years ago before we started the business. Um it was like 150 quid budget. It was for a friend's band. Um a friend of mine from primary school actually had joined a band from with a bunch of guys from Jersey. And they were like, oh, we've got 150 quid. The, the song was awesome. Um, it was called Do This With Me. And we ended up using that 150 pounds because my business partner now, it wasn't at the time, but we were friends. Um, his girlfriend was from Sweden. And we he, he knew that he could get like 30 pound flights on Ryanair to go to Sweden. And her, there her family had this farm and had like a forest in the back garden. I had my 5D Mark III at the time. And uh, we literally just spent all the money on flights to Sweden and then just lift off favors out there and they just helped us source because in london everyone hates filmmakers well they don't hate filmmakers but they're aware of it and they're willing to charge you for it because they know what they can get for using stuff or mm. whatever the favors might be but in sweden they were all excited by it lars her father would go around and say oh we need this or we need that and they'd yeah. be all like oh my god yeah sounds great yeah, yeah so yeah. They, they helped us out and it was one of my favorite experiences ever it's still one of my favorite it's one of my purest sort of filmmaking experiences because we didn't need much it was just literally the camera and we just, and then everything after that was just about the content out there. Mm. It was just about waking up at sunrise, shooting the sunrise, shooting throughout the day. It was like early in the spring, I think, when we shot it. So the sun there was always low in the sky. So everything in front of the camera was utterly beautiful. <laughs> and yeah, it was just perfect. It was just the story and the thing that was there. Was it, so, sorry, jumping back like a fucking jigsaw. You've, you've done your, your little company at 16, you were filming these headshots. Then where did you go from that? Because you're making money, you're in a business. Like most people would be like, cool, I'm just going to grow this and do this for a bit. Yeah, we did sort of various different things trying to figure out what was going to make us the most money and us have the most fun. We ended up doing live streams back in the day when Ustream Producer just came out and you could do sort of computer-based like vision mixing stuff. But live streams back then were really tough. Like it was the point where you had to send somebody to a specific website. It was kind of like the very beginning of that. So you had to give somebody a link that they would then post on social media. They had to drag them away from social media. I don't think 
the live stuff really worked back then. Um, for some people, we did a few like band streams, and the people in the UK really struggled. But the ones that were touring over from other places, like, I think we did one in, with a band that were from Canada, and they ended up getting like ten thousand like viewers at one point. And I was like, oh, that kind of works because it's I don't, I don't know how they they had a bigger following or whatever. Um, and then we filmed theatre productions, mm. and sold DVDs for theatre productions. Yeah, and then it was about that time that we were leaving college and stuff, and so. We wrapped down that company because I wanted to go to London to go to film school. Was that the only? Is that the only option if you're a filmmaker, though? To go to film school. To go to London. To go to London, but no, not at all. No, no. Because for music, I'd say it is right. I don't. I think if you're making stuff, people can come from anywhere. I mean, there's argument that it's significantly easier to make it in Hollywood if you go to LA or go to one of the film schools in America. But I don't know if it, if you want to be a general filmmaker and you want to make commercials and things like that you can be anywhere making stuff and then well I mean, you were doing that though so what was the apollo film film school for you because i thought that was the answer i thought that was the next step for me ah. i only went to I, I went to i went to film school and i was booked to do a two-year course i ended up leaving after the first year the end of the first year i think you get a diploma or something like that rather than a degree um because i kind of gotten what i thought i needed from it mm. and the second year you spent a lot of time making a feature film and uh, some of the people that had already done the course had spoken to us and said it's better to get a really small job on the feature film rather than one of the big jobs because you're going to mess it up so it's better to just observe people i was like if we're paying all this money to observe people i'd rather just go and observe be working people. and yeah. observing actual people working not my mates yeah um so i left after that but i mean i suppose we're going to talk about the film school thing but you definitely don't need to go to film school like it's not you wouldn't say if I'm a filmmaker coming to London, go to film school. Definitely not. What I think the only thing, the only criteria for being a filmmaker and being a successful maker is to make stuff and ultimately end up making good stuff. And the way towards making good stuff is not to go to film school necessarily. Right. It's to just keep making it. You know, some people are significantly more talented than I am and probably more skilled without any of that stuff, just teaching themselves off YouTube. Yeah. I think the majority of my learning has been off youtube and other people and other filmmakers and reading things on websites and reading books like there are so many amazing resources for mm. particularly cinematography and things like that directing is another kind of you know that's more of a skill and on the on the job skill directing you can't read how to direct a film in a book necessarily yeah there's there a, a lot of skills. instinct as well and yeah. and then it is experience as you say like it's yeah. seeing other people doing it but so i know that a lot of, i think the film school thing's important because we talk about bim the music school a lot with people um I know someone wanting to come to film school next year and they haven't made much video stuff. Done a lot of creative graphic design and stuff, but not much creative video stuff because they haven't, this is a lame reason, but they haven't got much stuff to make. As in they live in the middle of nowhere, like not much really happens there. Do they, would it benefit them to go to film school? Or are they better just like coming down here, renting a house, getting a job and just hanging out in the right places? I could never tell anybody... You no, could, you could, I, know, I know you're not asking me to. You could never say what to do because there's no, we're all just guessing. Yeah. And anybody that ever tells you, I think the only thing you can ever do by, you know, offer by way of advice is just say what happened for you and what has worked for you mm -hmm. and what you've seen has worked for other people. I don't know how many conclusions you can really draw from that. I don't know how many rules you can really find in the pattern of it because it's just, it's so much based on who you meet, you know, you could yeah. go to film school and meet absolutely nobody that you vibe with or who actually is going to go and do anything. Half yeah, the people that I yeah. studied with in various places are just not making movies anymore. They're not doing anything like it. I imagine there are some people who end up with barely anyone from their courses that are still making films. 
I was lucky in that, you know, in film school, there are still quite a few core people that I met there who are still making films and working in the industry. And it's those people that you end up getting opportunities with and from and that mm. kind of stuff. So, so much of it's to do with luck. I think the only thing you can do with luck is just get yourself out there, right? Like yeah, the person yeah. that's out there. You make your own luck. You make your own luck, but you just give yourself more opportunities to run into luck, I guess. Yeah. Um, but in terms of whether or not you should just, whether you should go to film school, whether you should just be making films, you should be making films no matter what. Whether you're going to go to film school or not, you should be making films. And there's always people to make films for. Like, think of the number of musicians that need films, have got no money, but they need content. They need mm. stuff to post on, or want content at least, mm. to post on their YouTube channel, like that kind of stuff. That's true. That's where we started. Like, 150 quid to do a music video. And we had a, like the time of our lives. Like, I still look back on that. It's like one of my favorite memories of making movies. Yeah. Um, and it was 150 quid. Like, everyone scraped together. There were four members of that band. Like, that wasn't a big deal for them. And they got a video that was made out in Sweden and all this other kind of stuff and had all these, you know, you can always find something to make. That's really good advice. If you're sitting on your own, there's always something to do, isn't there? There's always but something it's, to do. I guess I understand that this, the, the plight of sitting in your room with very little CV and then not having the drive because no one in, is artistic in our world. If no one's artistic or creative in your world or you've got no influence, I'm the only influence in that person's life that is creative. So I, I do, I get it, but I, yeah, you're right. you need, you need the backup. Like, yeah, you got to surround of, yourself with the people doing it. I think I've always been fortunate to have other people around me that have sort of had energy as well. Yeah. Cause yeah. I think when your energy sort of wanes, someone else's is coming into force and you kind of carry each other. You mm. know? Do you believe that you attract the same kind of people as you? So you said at film school, you met people that you still believe are doing the similar thing and you still bump into them and da, 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 da. do you reckon that you would have bumped into that kind of people no matter where you'd gone i've seen people that through so there are sort of directors of photography and producers that are doing bigger stuff than me yeah. similar ages to me all this kind of stuff uh and they didn't go to film school right. they knew somebody that went to film school or right. they through a friend of a friend of a friend knew somebody that went to film school and then they found their kind of key they found their their little hook into the industry. Mm -hmm. You've got to find it, but you don't need to find it in film school by any means. Okay. It's one way of doing it. Yeah, yeah, it's just one um, way. But yeah, in so terms of yeah, the learning, I think it's mostly a safety net of an education when you're there in terms of the actual stuff that you'll get from the course. You'll learn it from yourself. Maybe you'll be lucky and you'll get some really great lecturers. Depends on where you go. Depends on who is currently teaching at the place that you're going to. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I don't know. I think there's a, a line between whether somebody's teaching the tech of it mm -hmm. or whether somebody's there as a mentor. Yes. I yes. think the, the best film schools, for sure, I don't know about um, music. music schools, but the best film schools in the world are the best because they have incredibly successful people coming in and out. Like, if you look at the big film schools in America, the ones where they are really, the ones where the kids are winning Oscars out of the back of the school, like short film Oscars, whatever, you know, that kind of stuff, but they're winning Oscars off the back of their stuff. Um those schools, I mean, a friend of mine went to one and he was, um, he took a picture of this light on the first day and it had the Batman symbol on it. Uh, and he was like, oh yeah, Wally Pfister is, is giving a, um, he's giving a lecture today. He was the DOP of the Batman series and he just had the light there just for the, like it was oh. part of the school. He'd given it to the school as like a, and so you're really in contact with those people who yeah. are working at the highest level. Yeah. That is mentorship. That is where you're starting to meet people that could actually bring you into the industry. Mm -hmm. But then there's a degree very much separate from that where you're meeting people that can teach you how you know the skills but they're not going to be able to offer you that extra 
yeah that pull into the industry well there's a, the saying uh, the average of the five people you spend the most time with comes to mind with that because you can meet people who are really great teachers and i've had fantastic teachers who don't work actively in the music industry or they're working as a teacher to live which is a completely different thing that's yeah. fine that's you know that's there's no shame in that at all that's a, a very honorable position but the people who I've gained the most from are the people who are doing teaching because they love it and they actually love music and they want to pass that lesson on and you learn things that you can't learn from a book from them just by watching like I had dinner with a very very successful songwriter and learned so much just from having a conversation with someone from from in that world right yeah because you just absorb their mannerisms and their attitude to life and that's the stuff you can't buy at film school or music school absolutely yeah uh when you left film when you left uni then that was your choice yep did you have anything to fall into um i had one client left over from before (laughs) seriously that i still worked with okay um yeah i had uh, a job booked in i went traveling for three months um i sort of just drove around on my own for three months it was just a bit of a kind of therapeutic thing drove around a lot of countries in europe um just on your own yeah yeah just sort of i think it was 24 countries in the end just drove all over um and i had a date to come back by and that was because i had a job booked in with this guy and i knew i was going to go back into kind of like this i was going to go back in as a freelancer and still do some of this corporate work but then focus on i had to move back home i was going to focus on moving back to london uh, Mm. and then doing uh, working in film professionally so that was your motivation that was my motivation yeah so it was just anything and everything and that's where the band that my friend adam smith was in that became pocket club he said oh you know mike's now making films like you know again like you want to he's now like out of school can you come and make a music video for my new band Uh um so i met those guys uh and they were like so they were also instrumental like they gave us a bunch of projects to work on like a bit of budget each time and then it turned into like some professional work that kind of stuff where like one of the band members um was working for like music charities and things like that and had some money to bring in filmmakers to make various different video content, you know, bits and video content that helped massively. Did you do you and di- well, I think, did you then, did you suffer at all from, um, sort of imposter syndrome all the time? How did yeah. you deal with that? I mean, at the time I felt like at that point there was less pressure, mm. um, because it was kind of like, you feel like you're one of the options, that they, one of the only options that they've kind of got that's going to do it. And you're not really charging much money. If any, Okay. you're kind of just sort of starting to build, a showreel of work that is, you know, good enough to be hired off. Um, certainly now, like all the time now, um, I, you, you get that feeling that you're like, why am I here? Yeah. Yeah. How do you deal with it? Or do you not? Do you just, <laughs> do you just sit in that like... You just uh, go to work, uh-huh. I guess. You just have to, I guess you just feel it and then you just get over the fact that you feel it and go to work and do your best anyway yeah that's the only thing you can do ah. is except i mean if i've it's not so crippling to the point that i can't get out of bed and go to do the job but there have definitely been some jobs where i've been and jobs that have not necessarily gone well there's usually that moment when you start doing a job even if especially if it's a big one where you're yeah. really nervous before it begins and you're not sure if something's gonna be forgotten if you've got like maybe you've been given a lot more money for kit than you've ever been given before and you've got all of it turning up and you're hoping nothing's missing or anything. you're working with new crew that you've hired. I think that's the biggest thing for me. That's where I feel it most is when I'm working with crew that I know have worked with significantly more impressive people than me. And you always feel, I think, especially to begin with, that you're being judged or that you're going to be judged. 
on that, you know, by that benchmark. Yeah, like, of course. Well, I wonder what they would have done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or are they looking 100%. at me and thinking, oh, he's nothing like them. A hundred percent. Or when, you, so I guess if you're working with a band that's worked with a bigger director, or if I'm working with an artist that's worked with bigger producers, which happens a lot, yeah. I swear at some point in the session, the artist is going to go, you don't know anything. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I know you don't know anything. Yeah. Uh, I, I, it, it sucks. It yeah. fucking sucks. It's just silly. I mean, there's nothing you can do about it, I guess. You just have to do your best. <laughs> you just have to keep going. I mean, there have been times when I've been on jobs like that where I've feared the worst. And then you have a moment, usually, where you're like, oh, this is actually going okay. Like, yeah. the job's good. But sometimes I've had the moment where I'm like, this is not going okay. Like, I'm not doing a good job today. Uh-huh. And then you just have to finish. You just have to keep going. Just keep doing the job until it's done and then hope that it doesn't all fall apart. When I was, before I started the business and back when I was learning, there have been times when I've just been like, yeah, just looked up, pay me. Like I didn't, like, when we did a live stream before I went to film school, like you stream producer back in the day was a dodgy thing. Like you had to record to your, to the server essentially that, that you stream streamed through. And then for, for some reason, one day the, um, the, the recording hadn't worked. So we'd done this whole live stream and the stream worked fine, but they wanted the video afterwards. And we couldn't give it to them because the recording hadn't saved to the server. It was just mm. a software process and yeah. it just hadn't worked. And of course, we should have recorded like ISOs, they call them, where you record each camera individually anyway. But for us, we were looking at using, we were using mini DV cameras back in the day. And one of them was suspended in the ceiling. And you have to get to it to change the tape when yeah. you run out of tape. And it was over an hour long and that was the max we could put on the tape. So we just thought, oh, we just can't record ISO. So we recorded for the bit that we did have, but then we didn't bother changing the round. We should have changed them. But we should have put that tapes now. in the ones that we should. Yeah, exactly, we should have put tapes in the ones that we. But at the end of it, they were like, "Where's the video?" And we went, oh, "I'm really sorry." So we just didn't charge them for it. That's reasonable. I don't know if it was reasonable. It's, the event's done. Like you know, you it hurts. Like you you feel uh, you feel rubbish about it, don't you? It mm. sticks with you for a while. Well, you obviously but then you still sticks to, with you now. Yeah, you just have to carry on. I haven't thought about that in a long time. <laughs> Go cry in the corner for a bit. Uh, I, I was speaking to Jane, who's one of our mutual friends, about stuff, and she said that there was like a three-year, pe- a three-four-year period where you just ate dirt and worked really, really hard. Yes, and it sucked. And what? How did that happen? Was that when you were trying to get back to London? It was yeah dur- during that process. So I went, okay. back, went back home and I started working in a shop again, and then doing as much sort of part-time freelance. Um, right stuff as I could but I think so many people are doing that yeah. I think that's like the normal way right absolutely right you just have to I think the only way you can get hired doing this job is if you can do it already so you just mm. have to go out there and be doing the job as best you can and you do it for people that can't afford you to begin with yeah and then after a while when you realize you can charge for it you start to charge for it and mm. pay just yeah you eventually build up your prices um if, uh, my business partner we started the company I, th- I think we started the company before I moved back to London but at the very beginnings of the company at least uh, I'd met my business partner, Kane, uh, and his girlfriend at the time, Alicia, who is now doing very well as an actress, um, and his brother and his brother's girlfriend at the time. Um, and we all banded together to get a place in London. And they said that they've got a room for me, and I had less money than all of them. Um, and it was the tiniest cupboard room. It was sort of, uh, it was a three-quarter size bed. And as you open the door, the door would hit the bed. The bed, yeah. So you had to kind of edge your way in. And to me, it was just a mattress on the floor. Um, so I stayed there for a, a while. Like new game on Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. And I, I don't know, like I just scraped it together as best I could. 
just kept on doing work wherever I could find it. At that point, I kind of had enough freelance income. But, I mean, all I needed to make was a few hundred pounds a month in order to pay rent and live. But I remember there were some months that, I mean, I, I remember going to the Sainsbury's with my penny jar and pouring the penny jar into that machine. The machine counter. Yeah. Knowing that this was what I needed to pay for my food. Like, I didn't have money to buy food without doing this. That was the option I had. I mean, of course, I'm lucky enough to know that I, would, I wouldn't end up on the street. Like, I've got a family that would be able to support me. But you don't want to go to them. You, you can't just sort of say, oh, I'm going to have some money now. Like, you've got to do everything you can to just get by as yeah. an adult, mm. as a human. Um, so, yeah. But then it just kind of, I don't know, eventually it's... I met. I started working with one company called 90 Seconds. Um, and that was literally from watching a YouTube video. Uh, a little advert popped up saying, do you need video content making? And it was sort of just targeting corporate companies to make corporate video content. And I was like, I can make videos. I'm sure these people need people to make their videos for them. Mm -hmm. So I searched 90 seconds and it actually turned out that they were doing a big sort of uh, kind of, they were signing like loads of people onto their site basically as creatives. Yeah. Um, so I signed on and it said, what are your skills? And naturally, I ticked as many of them as I could possibly do. What was on I didn't, that think, you it, were... I didn't think it would be a big deal. I yeah. thought that, you know, they're going to, worst case scenario, they offer me something that I can't do and I just have to be like, oh, sorry. What kind of stuff? Um, I mean, I, naturally, I took like camera operator, like director, director of photography, editor, all the things that we were already doing. And then I remember thinking they had creative director written on there and I didn't really know what that was. But I thought... <laughs> I can creatively direct things. <laughs> um, so I, I take that option naturally. Um, and then like animation and things like that. And you're yeah. like, yeah, whatever. So I can definitely I can do all this stuff. stuff. I can do all that. I can't animate for a lot of my life. Um, but then like two days later, I got a phone call from one of them saying, oh, we've got this creative director job. Do you want to, do you want to do it? And I was like, yes. Could you tell me what the job is? <laughs> Desperately trying yeah. to understand what the heck the role was. I just not um, Googled it. I mean, I Googled it after that. And, can, you, can you tell us what a creative di director does? They're kind of basically involved in the concepting stage of a right. job. Like it varies depending on whether you're talking about it from like an, a marketing agency side or it's, it's quite a loose role, I think, from my experience. Oh, okay. like people call themselves creative directors, but they can be a creative person who comes up with ideas and helps concept things and helps bring them through sure. to the point where they can be made. Okay. And they may or may not become the director of a film yep. or you could be the creative director of a series of photographs, you know, that kind of stuff. I think it's quite a loose creative role. So, you, But you get this phone call and then you get say, what's the job? Um, it was for Streptals. Uh, and it was through them, they wanted to make this like advert thing, um, but they wanted help coming up with a concept. So we were like, oh, probably can do that. That's fine. Yeah. So Kane and I, we were sitting at the computer together and we just came up with a concept and put it on a pitch and sent it over and had these weird sort of marketing calls with them and stuff like that. And they, it seems to go all right. And then when they started offering us more and more work, and then I started to get work with them through sort of camera operating and things like that and all sorts of things. Because as you, when you know them, you're like, oh, by the way, I also do this kind of stuff, you know, which I'm significantly more confident in, by the way. Um, and they would, yeah, they would start to get more and more work my way. And, and it was kind of like them along with a few other smaller clients that was the point where I, I actually started to make a full-time income. I was right. making films. How, how long had you been doing it then? I mean, by that age, I must have, I must have been like 23, 20 something by that point. 23, 24, I So guess. like nine, years, eight. I'm really rubbish with dates. Eight years. Uh, yeah, easy. Yeah. <laughs> and that was the point where I kind of was, I, I could live comfortably. I started to feel like I was saving money. 
as well as being able to pay my rent mm. and eat food and not I, I went out that kind of stuff yeah you know um but up until that point that was the graft stage that you were talking about that was the point where what, what were you doing things. it for when you were grafting as in in terms of because it can't have been that enjoyable. <laughs> oh, of course it was enjoyable. <laughs> was Otherwise you quit. Yeah. Well, I don't know. That's what I'm asking. Like, why no, didn't it was, you quit? It was always enjoyable. And sometimes it's sometimes I think it was more enjoyable then. Not not all the time, but there are definitely times when you're like, oh, it was simpler back then. Simpler times. Yeah. Um Did you see it like that at the time? I always loved it. It was always every day was worth it. Like we killed ourselves over some of the videos that we did. We got a random booking through Twitter. Um and it was this um, sort of music video um, commissioner who was working with Warner Brothers in America. They had this band called the Alvarez Kings um, or Alvarez Kings. I don't know if there's a there in front of them or not. Um, and she said, do you want to make a video for them? Can you come up with a pitch? And it was like five, I think it was 800 pounds, something like that. It was, wasn't much money, um, but we killed ourselves over it. We did this whole double exposure thing that we didn't really know how to do. And then we had this ridiculous deadline from for sending it to Warner Brothers in California. Remember, we at the end of a project, if you've got a deadline, there's usually a bit of a push at the end. What you might do, you might have to do an all-nighter or something like that. I remember we started on the Friday morning and we didn't send it until Monday morning. And that whole weekend, we were basically sleeping when the work was rendering and then waking up to carry on working on it, seeing that there were mistakes in the render because we were working with like really underpowered computers doing this really... Have you seen um, True Detective? No. If anyone's seen True Detective, it's the intro sort of scene to True Detective where they have the double exposure, you know, mm. when they've got like like somebody's face, but then they might have part of their face made up of like birds or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We used that technique, but did it in video, like True Detective. Um, and it was just, it took so long. It was, it was I, when I came out of it, I was in like a blur, like a bubble of haze. Um, but I still remember thinking at the time, I was, I was energized by it. It was fun. It was cool. Like we were happy with the work we did for the most part. Um, after about a week i hated it but it was um yeah but then you, then you want to do it again yeah absolutely i've always had, i've always wanted to do it there's always been a love for it like i've never had a moment where i've thought pouring my pennies into the thing i wasn't depressed about it i wasn't, was just de- I wasn't depressed about it. it was just a reality it was just what it was like you know this is just how it is at the time right how how it's just like making movies like it's the most fun thing that i can possibly imagine doing will you do it forever i don't know Hopefully, if, if I'm forever. still enjoying it, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, well, yeah, okay. Like, I'll do it for as long as I, I continue to. But it's tough. So, like, the moment you don't enjoy it, you, you quit. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just there's long days. Hmm. Sometimes not enough money. Sometimes too much money. What's, so, what's yeah. the most fun you had on in those times? I think I, was, I think you talked about it quite positively, but I think if you described some of the living conditions, at least from I know what I went through and I'm coming out of in that grind time that I think everyone has people wouldn't think it's human like no one works Monday morning to Friday morning to Monday morning no one like I've been to a studio and done a whole day and then an all night and then gone home and slept and gone to my job that isn't a normal thing to do <laughs> but, I but think it's normal, among, it. it's normal amongst creatives isn't it no and that's why people some people do well and some people don't do well that's yeah. I think that's why people drop out because they don't want that i think that's it though isn't it it's if you don't want it enough i don't necessarily think that's right in it's definitely not right by the time it gets to the industry and it's really tough to have an industry where everyone wants to be in it or any but there are enough people that just want to be in it so badly um i think it can become or that can be abused 
later yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But to begin with, it's almost that's just part of it. You have to want it enough to do it. When I every time I've actually started a new kind of course or something like that in my history, I think every single lecturer has always said, um, "You're not going to be a filmmaker. Like you're not going to be making money out of this because most people don't. Most people quit." I don't necessarily agree with their tactic there, but it's been said to me multiple times, including film school. Where like you can quit out of your head. Like you're not going to be a director. You're not going to direct Hollywood movies. Like it's not going to happen. And I'm like, right, okay, cool. And it still doesn't put you off. So I don't know whether that's they know that it won't put the right ones off or the ones yeah, that that's are, true. are willing to. But I guess it's just you're going to get that everywhere. You've got to keep buying the delusion until your delusion becomes a reality. Absolutely. I think that's a common characteristic that I imagine you've seen quite a lot. That the people that have sort of had more success are often yeah. a little bit delusional. What's your industry like on mental health? getting better there i mean what's your there are different factions of the industry okay commercial and narrative world i can't comment much on the narrative world because i've not had much experience with it they're very some of the crew crossover but i think they're very different cultures commercial world is not as tough on mental health because the days are shorter or at least i mean less less like industry view of it but more if 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 i want to be a filmmaker how punishing is that on your brain I think it will depend on how you handle rejection. In terms of there being support there, there's more. There's growing communities of, like, I'm friends with a few directors that have started mm. a sort of pub meetup group okay. that is around mental health in film. Okay. I think people are starting to recognize it the same as they are in most industries now. Um, is that just because of the working hours or is that because of the, the way that people are treated or is that to do with... I think it's a bit of everything. Like if, if we're talking about just specifically about how film as a unique creative mm. pursuit mm-hmm. is punishing on your mental health. Um, I think there'll be lots of crossover between all the other creative industries. Like it's going to be punishing because of the rejection. Um, but I think that partially is just about the fact that the people that stick around are the ones that have that delusional self-belief. Yeah. Like like we said. It's kind of unshakable belief that they mm-hmm. are good or mm-hmm. better than everyone else in the world yeah um and then in terms of the actual working stuff the working conditions the hours are really long especially in narrative there are some really dark stories about sort of the way people are forced to work particularly in the crewing side of things um like there have been a few incidents where people have um like had car crashes and things like that because they've done r- ludicrous shifts um and that was almost condoned by the industry. Um, that's being bettered, I think. Again, narrative, I can't comment as much. And the commercial world is not as bad at that mm. because you're on shorter jobs. And you're working for people who work nine to five. Yeah. I guess it's always going to be a case of like, you don't want to turn down a job, all that kind of stuff. You put the pressure on yourself to perform, I guess, creatively. It can mm. be tough like you, if you're putting together your own short film, a lot of people invest their own money in their short films. Yeah. That's something I've never done is make a short film off, you know, off my own budget. We made music videos. So the budget was shared amongst other people. You know, like you had a band that was putting towards some money. Sometimes I've put some money towards a, a music video that I was working on, but it was always shared and it was never damning. But I've seen some, some directors put together their life savings into a project. And I guess that can be tough as well. Yes. So you started Nifty 50 just after that, after you'd done... Yeah, amongst all of that kind of yeah, stuff. I'm just so terrible of, with timelines and yeah, dates. I just can't, I can me. never pinpoint stuff. Um, <laughs> I, I forget to update numbers. People are like, how long have you been running the company? And I'm like, two years. I know, wait, it's four now. I just haven't <laughs> updated that number in a while. 
<laughs> did you um, what do you remember the day you moved out of your box room yeah i do yeah where did yeah. you what, where did you move to was it a significant upgrade uh yeah it was like a two-bedroom place moved in battersea on your was, own no no with a girlfriend at the time that's so sick yeah but i was paying like a more money i was actually able to fund somewhere that was more comfortable and uh is that important um you can delay that kind of stuff for a long time um and i think it will still be rewarding when it comes but the yeah. time before that is also rewarding yeah i have no regrets for the time that i spent in the box room i may end up back in the box room you hey, never know knows? like in who this knows? World. and i probably still carry on mm. um i've seen that happen to a lot of people and i guess you just have to kind of accept it ignore it whatever you need to do to get past it but i've seen a lot of people that are still doing what i'm doing now but they're in their 50s and they've had hard times like you know they've had the boom times like we're having now and then they end up having harder times mm -hmm. you know you just have to accept it and move on the same way as you accept the fact that you might never make it at all <laughs> was that directed at me no <laughs> did i did i look, you look quite intense at me <laughs> the fact that you might never make it at all i didn't twist my head at the last minute to, <laughs> no not at all it's directed at me oh well, yeah it's directed at, yeah. um what's next for nifty 50 um you guys have done some crazy stuff this year yeah it's been really good we we had um we had a big break we, we met a, a bunch of we we ran into a bunch of commercial work through various sources. Yeah. Um, again, it was always just through putting ourselves out there and just sort of finally showing off the work. I think you can become so insular when you're making things that you forget to actually show people that you've been making stuff. I did. Yeah, we still struggle with that. Like we're not good at saying, "Hey, look at us! Look at what we've done." Um, like Instagram. Like I could do Instagram mm. for about three months at a time before I just forget I or hate get Instagram. bored. I'm just not good at saying, "Look at me." This would be one of the best, pop biggest podcasts in the world if I knew how to do Instagram, <laughs> yeah. but I don't. Yeah, it's a. Uh, yeah even when you know what to do it's just the it's, it's loving doing it i don't love doing it i hate it i like making stuff i don't like promoting it <laughs> um so yeah when the work comes to you that's easy mm. um but every time we've actually gotten out there and said hey look at us or we've spoken to a new agency and we've said hey can we have a chat about making some stuff for you it's always gone really well as you know as a rule there's always been rejection but it's always sort of resulted in yeah. a point where we've had a break or we've met somebody new and it's, it's sort of opened up new avenues. That it's all stuff. people. Yeah. So we ran into a bunch of commercial work. Um, we met a bunch of clients um, that we still work with now. Um, mostly luxury stuff, I think in the commercial world, but it's opening up. For so someone so creative as you, because you are, I think in the top two creative people I know, Jane's the other one. I don't know if I, I think you are. can measure up to that. No, I think you are though. I'm not sure. I think you are. Really? But if you are the second most creative person I know, which I think you are, does it get hard doing commercial stuff? Do you not crave the like, going to make an OK Go video tomorrow? Yeah. There's like the, the balance. But I freelance as well. Oh, so you so do that's where I, stuff. I have the, so yeah. So I run the company and that is predominantly producing work. Yeah, yeah. Predominantly yeah. that is just being a producer. I can shoot some of the stuff myself, um, but that's not the direction the company needs to go and the company needs to hire other people and it does hire other people better than me. You know, there mm -hmm. are people that are way more qualified to do a number of jobs. But on the side, I work as a freelance director of photography mm -hmm. and that's significantly more creative. Even though I work in, I mean, I work in more music videos there still, which is nice. And that is often like a relief and a release of like creative energy. Do what you need to do, so I think. Yeah. Whatever you want. Yeah. But eventually, I mean, I'd like to work in feature films. I think there are different routes to get there. Um, the sort of general idea I've always had was that I wanted to run a company as well. I was happy to 
run a company and work on my craft, cut my teeth, and eventually try and move into that creative role. Because a lot of directors of photography there, a lot of filmmakers, they're older. Whether or not that's partially because it took so long to get into that role Mm -hmm. in the day, like there used to be only very, very conformative routes there you had to go up through the camera department or go up through the lighting department um, or the electric department but yeah um, I don't know but the the thing I've convinced myself now is that I can do that later in my 30s Uh, what image do you see when you think that you've made it so like a lot of people say like oh well I'm when I'm looking out over a crowd at Wembley or when I see hear my song on the radio number one or whatever what's your I made it moment vision um I think there are different ones and it depends on how you want to come across. No, no, I just, I, be no, as, as arrogant as you like. Creatively, I guess it would be, I would love to be making feature films. I would love to be working on some of the larger feature films in the world. But I think realistically, it would be looking back on a career where I've managed to do this creative sort of thing for a living for my life. I think that would be the real success for me is if I can sort of, carry on doing what I love no matter what the actual outcome is or the rewards are in a commercial or a creative sense I think as long as I've been able to carry on doing this yeah until I'm done you know that would be so the day you the day you retire retire and go I did that (laughs) that's I always I always taught myself that I get tattoos the day that I just the day that I genuinely believe that I could um do this forever because i had this thing where i was like oh i don't want to get tattoos on my arms in case i have to go back and get a real job um i don't know if i actually would get the tattoos anymore but i told myself that i would do it the day that i believed i could let's go and get matching tattoos because then, then i you still have... don't think i can no but then you have to nah, then you can't get an old, a get point, a tattoo actually. on your face it's interesting a lot of directors and things like that actually become really successful after they have kids because they have this moment where they think i've I got to provide to for this, this kid yeah. i've either got to quit or do this and the ones that decide to do this Let's know. go get a tattoo. Of a baby. <laughs> Mix it together. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe not. Okay. <laughs> get my face on your face. Um, <laughs> what would you say to someone getting into film, videography? What would I say to them? Yeah. Like that, that person I was talking about. What films do you like? No, I don't know. Um, <laughs> in terms of advice? Yeah just make films it's so cliche and it's so annoying to hear as a filmmaker i can hear other filmmakers that were in the same position as me just going but it's one of those things where you don't get the advice that you want to hear like you get the advice that's actually important when i through my grandmother she met this um this documentary producer called um wayland i think her name was it was so long ago that i met her six seven years ago she told me not to go to film school she told me to go and do like an english literature degree or something like that and just do something creative and come back to it and i ignored her um but looking back on it i would have been like that would have been an amazing route yeah it would have been so fun like a lot of the people that i really admire most have done things like go to art school or things like that or just mm. gone and done something really interesting really wanky yeah just well whatever it is <laughs> i'm joking i'm joking free <laughs> yeah yeah creatively free open their mind up yeah exactly where they've not had a specific sort yeah. of you know there aren't that many hoops to jump through that are very very hard and fast go do um, philosophy exactly anything just go and learn and then just like watch youtube videos and all that mm. kind of stuff and i think the only thing that really ties out together is just make films make films no matter what you're doing even if you've decided to go to film school just make films if you decided to go to doing literature or go to art school um just making films will give you 
you just, you just have learn to, you just so have to make much them stuff. To, yeah. yeah, exactly. Like you will learn yeah. so much more making one film yeah. than you would from a year of film school if you didn't make any. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just a fact. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your proudest achievement to date? Um, earning a living. <laughs> um, that's, that's fucking cool. That's uh, really cool. Nice. I don't think that's... No, it is. I got my first PRS check last night and I can go and buy a Just Ham sandwich from Tesco with it. I saw your uh, I saw your Instagram. £2.57. But it's £2.57 that I earned from sitting in a room and we, we literally wrote a shit song and it made me £2.57. Nice. That's wild. I mean, fair play. <laughs> like, the, money, the money found its way back to you. That PRS stuff actually... And what's the other one? The PPL. PPL. That stuff blows my mind. Yeah. What would you tell 15-year-old Mike... I wouldn't be able to, I don't think I know enough to go back and do a better job. So I would steer well clear. I would observe and be like, ha, huh, look at that funny weird little kid over there. You wouldn't say anything? I wouldn't say anything. I you wouldn't, wouldn't say don't go to film school? I wouldn't risk it. I, wouldn't, I don't think I'd risk it. I'd just be like, I'm having fun. I'm happy. I'm getting to do something creative and making a living out of it. Mm-hmm. And I'm surrounded by these amazingly creative, interesting people. Mm-hmm. And I get to have fun conversations like this. Mm-hmm. I'm really happy. And I don't think there's, I don't know enough. Maybe at some point I might go back and say, be a chef. You should just go and star for your art and you should just do the art stuff. Yeah, maybe. Maybe in like 50 years time, if yeah. I never get to make a feature film, yeah. that would be a big blow. Like I, I want to make those kind of things. And right now I'm not in a place where I would say I'm, on, I'm not really in a, I'm not on a direct tra- trajectory in that sense at all. I'm planning on coming happy. back to it. But I'm still happy right now. If in 50 years time you ask me the same thing again and I haven't done that, I might go back to 15-year-old me and say, ugh, you've got to, re- you've got to re-address your priorities yeah. here. You need to have a priority for a start because that's the thing I think I've always struggled with is having a priority. Um, what is your Instagram handle? Because a lot of people want to follow people that we talk to. Uh, my personal Instagram handle is Mike O'Connor, D-O-P, M-I-K-E-O-C-O-N-N-O-R. <laughs> D-O-P. <laughs> and then Nifty 50? Uh, it's Nifty 50 Films. Make sure you go and check out their stuff. It's wild. Um, thank you so much for coming on and doing this. Thanks for having it me was on. so last minute. It's so cool to like hang out with you. You live so close, and I'm going to see you a lot more of this next year. Yeah. I think. It's going to be great. I think so. I hope so, mate. Yeah. Um, I guess all I've got to say is thanks to everyone for listening to this episode of The Flat Forum. If you love this podcast, it would mean the world if you could give us a review on iTunes. It helps us reach tons more people and we'd really appreciate that effort. Thanks to Mike. Thanks to you guys for listening and we'll see you next Sunday at six. Cheers. Bye.